Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, hunt tastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. This is the start of our new series, Private Land, When You're King. Around 90% of white-tailed deer are taken on private land, but when you're the boss, what are the pitfalls and how can you best rule your domain to be a better land manager and have better success on deer? That's what we're digging into with our experts in this series and trying to answer. As we start this first episode, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you do that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What is the biggest problem hunters face to private land being better or as good as it could or should be? What is the first thing to consider when you have control or take control of private land? How do you best deal with the neighbor problem? Yeah, we've all had them and it's an issue sometimes. How should you really look at food plots? This may be different than you're used to. And I have a few challenges at the end that I believe will really take your hunting skills up several notches, so make sure to stay and listen for that. And now, let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. All right, I am here with Jared Van Hees. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Good to see you and talk to you again. Yeah, um, we've been in this scenario before, but I've been on your podcast. Uh, (laughs) If you don't know... Jared, he uh, has the Habitat podcast. He also um, has a uh, business with uh, food plotting and seed, uh, Vitalized Seed Company. And we're going to jump into, we're in the year theme, our uh, unit to be a greater deer hunter. What does it take and what do great deer hunters do differently than other people and how can most of us become greater deer hunters and we're in the uh, series private land when you're king and when you're in charge of things what does that look like and what can you do to best up your odds right and so before we dig into some of these deeper questions jared uh maybe tell a little bit about yourself for uh people in the audience that don't really know who you are sure thanks adam um my name is Jared Van Hees. I'm from uh, Grand Haven, Michigan. Live over in, in Livingston County now. Um, I have a wife, three kids. Um, I love to deer hunt and work on habitat on the properties. I am a landowner. I am uh, basically obsessed with with trying to bow hunt mature whitetail. I'll gun hunt too. I'm not against that. And uh, you know, I'm love bringing my family get my kids with me in the blind even if that means you know less chance of a mature buck i'm okay with that um i'm i'm 36 i've been doing the habitat podcast for about five and a half years now started that in early 2018 and that's you know to like your slogan ours is to become better habitat managers so it's very similar in the fact of we're just trying to be better right grow and and be more skilled more knowledgeable and then um, about a little over a year ago, my partner Albert and I formed a seed company called Vitalize Seed Company. Um, there was just there was just a gap in the market, and we and we were getting requests to help people out 
and uh, we decided to to turn it into a business model and see what would happen. And uh, we've been very, very blessed since, uh, except for the fact that there's been a drought in the fall and a drought this spring. Um, if I sit here smiling randomly, it's because I'm looking at rain for the first time in like a month uh-huh. out my window right now. So, Awesome. Well, talking about private land and... You know, I've observed that sometimes um, people that own land or maybe land's been in the family for a long time or even people that buy land uh, for the purpose of hunting, a lot of times uh, they don't know what they're doing with it or they think they know what they're doing with it and they make some mistakes or they aren't really um, realizing the full potential of the control, right? Like they, when you have control of the land, you know, what can you do? So from your perspective, uh, you know, I think it's a great opportunity, but then what, then what do we do with it? How are hunters failing to take advantage of this power, uh, that they have and take control with the land in their hunting situations? Like, what do you see, uh, as, uh, as far as that goes? Great question. I think the failing or or being the king, right? Having the power that can go both ways. That can be either you're doing everything right and and in a good way, or like you mentioned, failing and and doing everything wrong or, or maybe nothing at all. And that's what I see the most of is either I'd say most commonly it's not doing enough, you know, not improving, just, just sitting back and, and maybe, you know, oh man, I didn't get my buck this year. I didn't see anything at this spot on, on our property or 40 acres. It's not very good, you know, and then the same thing happens next year and next year without anything ever changing, right? It's like the definition of insanity. But if if you can go change things year after year, you then, I would say, have have the power. Uh, but that would be my my main failure I see is just maybe paralysis by analysis or or intimidation to get started because you don't want to do the wrong things. And I guess secondly would be, we see some, some wrong things or mistakes made as well as probably a number two answer there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It seems like uh, a lot of times, and I've written articles about this too, but just that people start to blame like the, you mentioned, like, oh, I'm not having success. And they start to become a victim or like sure. uh, come up with a reason as to why they aren't having success, you know. Um, and when we can <clears throat> really realize we do have control to a large extent, you can't control everything, but you have more control than I think people realize. You can start to take actions to change that. And so... Um, what so exactly what does that look like like what are some of the top things hunters can do when they are in control um to make the best possible hunting opportunities like what are some of those things they should be doing to start taking that control back yeah something you touched on there you know the the victim thing um a lot of the common ones that you and i probably both hear are if i don't shoot it my neighbor's gonna shoot it right or um can't eat the horns or, or things like that, which which is fine to, to each their own. But if you shoot that buck, it's a hundred percent not going to live if it's a younger buck. So, you know, one thing that I think people can do is pass on younger deer. That's going to make everybody's hunting experience better. If, if everybody in the neighborhood maybe gets together and starts doing that. Um, 
Secondly, I would think how you access your property. It may be the biggest thing out of everything we talk about. Um, it's, it's up there in the top three for sure. How do you get to where you're going to hunt? That is, that is, and get out when it's done. That is probably the one of the largest mistakes I see. Yeah, there's studies out there. And I mean, if you haven't figured out from experience, depending on you know where you're at, how many years you've been hunting, all this stuff. Um, there's studies out there that literally show that like one encounter after hunting a stand one time, most, most of the time you're educating deer, you're affecting deer movement. So really planning that out is super important. So when it comes to private land and I can control that, you know, and let's say I enter, I just bought a property or I just got access to a property and I have some control over it. And I guess that's the caveat here is we're assuming you know, in this situation that people have control of some sort. So if you do have that control and you, you, you're starting this game plan, like what does that look like? Yeah. So do you plan around access? Um, is that like your main thing you're starting to work around as far as your game plan for like setting up a property or looking at how you want to develop it? Yeah, no, that that's a great point. When we, when we do our, our, podcast land plans, access is number one. So that would be whether we're walking the parcel first with you to determine maybe what issues or, or issues, shortfalls your property may have challenges, right? Like where I'm sitting now up North, we have very, very steep hillsides. Um, and that the easiest way down is right through the middle of the property down this little draw, but that's the worst spot to go down the hill if you're deer hunting. So you try to number one scout and see what you're working with first and then access it's the first thing that i'll draw out on these plans and it's usually around the outer edges for the most part and go in you know to to hunt or to surgical strike when the when the time's right um yeah it's definitely first or second on the list all the time um and you mentioned in there two neighbors right i mean most people have limited property or you know there's there's not an infinite amount so we have these boundaries right and i think we educate deer like deer don't know boundaries but they do know where they're safe and where they aren't right due to to pressure and hunting and sanctuaries and things like that so neighbors become kind of critical um to it what's the approach to neighbors because you know, growing up and uh, hunting on some private, as I was growing up, it was, you know, the neighbors are the problem. And in a, in a sense, that's partly true if you're not on the same page. So you, you look at your land, you look at your access routes and stuff, and these are things you can control to keep yourself from screwing up your own hunting, right? A lot of times we're our own worst enemies, I think. Like we, oh, the neighbors are going to, you know do this or that so it it kind of pushes you to make some mistakes or be too aggressive on private land when you should be much more strategic planning out your entries and exits you know and really um just saving your land and and just keeping it um a pristine environment i guess um yeah but so how what what's what's it look like you know managing relationships with neighbors to if you've got this little piece whether it be 10 acres or 40 or even 200 the neighbors come into play 
what is what's the approach to that for guys? Another another solid question, Adam, and I think that that can go two different ways. At least that's what I'm gonna what I'm gonna think about right while we're talking. I think one, you need to your neighbors are always gonna be part of the equation. So the best thing you can do is communicate, over communicate, try to get them on the same page. Um, send them pictures of deer that you have, send them pictures of deer you're passing, whatever it could be, just over communicate. And that's, that's the perfect world. They respond back. They send you pictures. You go have a beer after one of your shoots of deer. It's great. Um, my, my 15 acres, I had that with one neighbor across the road. Uh, the two that were next to me, a little bit different story. So now let's get into the different story. I think that if you have neighbors that are you know, see what you're doing, hunting, you know, close up, maybe not in the same plan as you in terms of age structure. They start hunting your property borders, even on a little 15-acre parcel. Um, Then there's habitat things and hunting strategy things you can do to help. And by what I mean, what one in particular is to lay down walls of cover and trees in between you and the neighbors. And you're pretty much putting up a fence. Um, and yeah, you can't keep the deer contained. I understand that. But like you said, a big buck or most deer are going to know who's putting too much pressure on their ground and who's not. And if we're preserving ours, like you mentioned, and only going in at the right time, while the neighbors have been hunting for two weeks already, the deer know which property to walk through. So those are the two ways I'd, I'd handle that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Like almost like a push and pull. You mm-hmm. might think of it like um, the best you can. Like I think a lot of people struggle with sharing. Like they they want to keep information to themselves. When sure. in reality, it's not it's not probably changing too much about what the neighbors are doing or your success in the end. Right. Uh, by building in those roads, uh, you're actually influencing them. You know, sharing those pictures. A lot of guys don't want to do that, but. True. Odds are they probably already know if, if there's a big buck around. They probably already know themselves if they've got cameras and all that. So it's what are you really hiding type thing? But it's building trust. Um, and maybe even if they aren't on the same page the first year or two, maybe, you know, looking at the long approach, the relationship, oh, maybe we can get on the same page, you know, sharing, hey, we're going to do this. If you want to join us, if they say no. You, you just keep going forward and maybe they see results and get on board over time. Uh, but I think that's yeah. big. And yeah, if, if neighbors don't, then you have the, okay, well, you're actually benefiting me too. And looking at it that way, instead of looking at the neighbors of like, oh, they're bad and negative. Well, they're choosing to hunt this way. Uh, they're actually going to push deer on our property. Now we just need to make it a magnet and keep them there. Right. Yep, and, and I think you you said it perfectly, and I think there's still going to be the exception out there, I'm sure, where you just got a, a real bad neighbor. Um, but there, there are steps you can take in the right direction to, to help you and your, your property. Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com, and this is your High IQ Moment. Since around 90% of all deer are taken on private land, as according to an NDA survey, this means that the most opportunity is probably on private land both now and in the future. So the question is, are you investing in that area 
since by the numbers it's yielding the most results and it's gonna be your best odds long-term shot. What can you do to invest in private land? It could be saving to buy. If you already own, investing in a good land plan and improving your land to hold deer or investing in relationships with other landowners to get and keep access to hunting privileges. However you look at it, the numbers don't lie, so find a way to invest in your hunting future on private land. It's a high IQ move. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, consider sharing it with a buddy who may benefit, and also commenting, liking, or reviewing, depending on where you're watching or listening to this. This helps the podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Okay, and now back to the podcast. Looking at, you know, let's say setting up my property or or trying to make it the best it can possibly be. um, It's all about, I'd say, getting in the deer's head, like understanding a deer, which is on one hand difficult to do. But on the other hand, I don't think it's that hard if we really know um, their needs. Right. And so you work a lot with habitat, different things. So here's a question for you. If a hunter could get in a deer's head as far as a deer's needs, as far as his habitat needs, uh, and could understand this, how would they see their private land differently? How would they hunt differently? I like that question when I was reading that last night. And I think that, um, I had, this may be kind of corny, but so imagine yourself, you know, in a deer walking walking through a property. I'll relate it to to food and a little bit of, of pressure. Um I would say property A will be the untouched park-like setting that that nobody's done any habitat work on um, and, you know, pressured too much throughout time. And property B will be the perfect scenario uh, or a better scenario. I think property A in terms of food, you'd be walking through, you know, the vegetable aisle at the store. You, you or me, right? We're walking through. And, and while we like vegetables, we, you know, it's not the only thing we eat. So we're walking through, okay, this is, this is good. Um, I'll eat some of this and that's great. We're property B, you know, adding diversity to the property. I would say it would be more like walking through, uh, I don't know, Golden Corral, right? You got cheeseburgers over here. You got salad over here. You have ice cream over here. You know, again, spare me the corn in this year, but it's, right. it's the diversity in, the food type that deer are attracted to, just like us. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's already been proven. I'm, you can go look it up, but so that would be how I compare the food thing, right? Just, just maybe like a monoculture on a, where there's not much of a choice of diversity. And then B would be lots of choices, different age of food, tenderness, um, palatability, all that. Then with cover, um, which is directly, can be the food sometimes too in a timber setting. Um, a, you know, if it's a park-like setting and nothing's been done on mature timber, I'd say it'd be like walking through, you know, Central Park at night. Like, kind of, kind of wondering, you know, can't see who's around the corner. Just kind of scary. Not a lot of cover for the deer to hide. Uh, maybe Central Park's great. I haven't walked through there at night, so I don't really know. But it would be like not feeling very secure is what I'm getting at. And then property B where you have, you know, some hinge cut bedding areas, some TSI work, some sunlight, be like walking through, I don't know, like walking through a a bank where everybody's, you know, 
pretty secure and locks on the doors and everything else. Or like my, my kid's school, for instance, it's like a Fort Knox to get in and out of that place. And it's, um, you know, feel a lot more secure in, in the deer as well. If they have cover all around them, they're not in the wide open. You, know, you don't see a big buck walking through the wide open field at 10 in the morning very often, unless it's a rut. Um, there's a reason for that. So I hope that wasn't too terrible of a comparison, but that's kind of where my brain went first last night. And I'm like, ah, I'll roll with it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's good. And so, yeah, think about what a deer needs, right? Obviously food, you've got the security, uh, and then we can throw breeding in there, which we can chat about later, but uh, you can't control, I guess, the breeding uh, on your property, but you could, I guess, set up where uh, the does might be or where that might take place, right? But uh, Yeah, I think if you're going to do all the improvements and add the diversity with the food and the cover, the does are going to be there. I, right. guess I just kind of figured that as an automatic. <laughs> yeah, the does will be there for sure. Yeah, so if you've got a place like downtown Detroit, you're not going to walk through there probably at night. And, Correct. you know, just, just being honest about what would deer want? What would deer, what do deer need? Do deer have food for all year round or just one time a year where you might see them on your property or not? Uh, do they feel secure all year round as well? And really setting those up is the basis of a game plan for land management, right? Correct. And that's what we do. Yeah. We'll, we'll go through anywhere from you know, access and stand locations to water holes to food plots. Uh, and again, with the food, food plots are, are more supplemental than they are, you know, the majority of a deer's diet. So the timber work and opening sunlight to the forest floor, to me, are more important. It's because, you know, deer's, you know, diet is more browse than it is food plot or, or forbs even. So all of that, to say all that needs to be set up and you can do all of this. So that's, that's the thing. Are you doing anything or are you doing all of it or at least trying to, you know, you're going to have different outcome. Yeah. I think a lot of guys get hung up and especially when you first started getting into it and I'm, everybody's at a different place in this journey. Um, For sure. And especially like I have this chart uh, and maybe I'll link back to the podcast it's on of the deer hunter growth continuum and it starts kind of i call it you start as a kid and as you grow you become you know this sage at the very end of it and you're somewhere on that and it might depend on what you're actually doing too are you talking about public land hunting are you talking about private land hunting or food plotting and you know you're somewhere on there and and me as far as food plotting i'm somewhere kind of in the middle i'm not super experienced but i've done a decent amount of it and I think as guys get into this private land thing, they uh, they, they just think, oh, it's about the food plots because they've heard so much about food plots. And that's just a part of the food program, right? I mean, deer obviously eat out of food plots uh, if you have good food for them, again, throughout the year. But there's also, you mentioned uh, forage, right, or mast and forbs. What's the difference between those for guys that don't understand and like, uh, how does that fit into the whole picture? Because if you're just doing food plots, you're just doing a little bit. Yeah. And, and you nailed it there. Um, and you know a little bit more about food plots than maybe you're leading on. You're not, you know, enough to be dangerous. I've seen the bucks you've, you've killed out of that food plot, but I think that um, to your point, everybody starts at a food plot. It's the big sexy thing. Uh, it, it is fun. I mean, I have a green thumb. I like growing things. 
garden, trees, whatever. And if you can grow something, have a deer walk in and you shoot it or just watch them. It's pretty awesome. So I, I get it. And that's where I started too. Um, but the majority of a deer's diet is browse. A lot of it woody browse, especially in the winter time. So trees and shrubs, um, stuff, you know, five or six foot and below because deer are no taller than that. So big mature trees don't do much for that. Um, mast, which would be your acorns, your apples, pears, things like that, beech nuts. That's the mast category. That's up there, but mostly in the fall. Um, forbs, which would be your green leafy plants, weeds, if you will. Um, that's a large part of it too. Not as much as browse, but it's up there. And then, um, you know, food plots would be, I think food plots would be kind of in that forb realm. And then, you know, there's, there's fungi or fungi at the end, which is very, very small, but, um, not very small, but it's, it's fairly small compared to the others. So I think I, I call food plots supplemental, you know, it's not going to hold them over the winter and keep them alive. It's not, you know, it's not their main food source. Deer are there, whether we plant food plots or not. It's just for me, it's like the ice cream on the cake to bring them by my tree stand at 20 yards or, or whatever that may be. Uh, but for me, they're, they're a necessity, but they're more supplemental where the necessity is, you know, that sunlight to the forest floor in your woods for sure. And that'll bring the new growth and the things they can actually eat, uh, like the, the browse stuff and like the forbs that can, they need the sunlight, right? Yep. And, um, cover and cover that is also food you can't beat it really right well we're gonna wrap up this segment of it next uh segment we're gonna look at more specifics of really the plan you know getting into small large acres uh what should you do really um as you develop this land management plan and looking at hunting private land so We'll be back here uh, for that. Make sure to check it out. And we'll also reveal Jared took the Deer IQ test, which is something listeners can also take. We'll reveal his score in the next segment. So as we wrap up, here are some key high IQ takeaways and challenges. How are you contributing to the number one problem of private landowners overpressuring? And what can you do to fix this? How can you shoulder your weight of the blame for the quality of hunting in your area and work together with neighbors to improve the quality of the deer herd in your area? Like maybe coming up with a QDM type co-op management plan, for example. And next time we'll continue our private land series with Jared, getting deeper into exact management moves you can and should make to make your private land, whether you own it or not, the best it can and should be. We'll also see his DRIQ test score. You won't want to miss it, and I'll see you then.